Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Howdy, and welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Taylor Gill, the face and voice behind TravelingTaylor.com. She's a digital nomad coach who helps people just like you. You listening right now, transition into the work from anywhere life, giving you more flexibility and freedom to do what you love. Taylor has lived in New Zealand, Australia, Bali, Vietnam, South Korea, the UK, France, Switzerland, name a country. She's probably lived there or she's on her way to living there very soon. The goal is 197. Get to all of the countries in the world. Pretty fantastic stuff. We're talking all about how Taylor got into this digital nomad life and some of her tips if you'd like to do the same kind of thing. She also shares her video content and some of the tools that she has. Spoiler alert, doesn't take a lot to get into video, and it's what every single social platform is pushing on their algorithms. They love them, some videos. Obviously, TikTok's huge. Instagram's all about reels and lives, and Facebook's all about the videos, LinkedIn. I don't know why I just started turning very kind of Southern and Foghorn Leghorn-y there. But if you need video, she's got you covered. She also shares some of her favorite productivity and remote working tools so you can get your work done faster, more efficient, and better than you've ever had before. That's pretty magical. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out via joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast. And as always, you can support the show by heading on over to Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Stitcher and leaving a review, hopefully five stars. But hey, if you want to leave one star, I'll cry all day about it and it'll be great. You can also support the show via the merch shop, which you can find at goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop. Buy yourself something wonderful as you listen to this episode with Taylor. For people who don't know who Taylor Gill is, can you give us your elevator pitch? And can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Ooh. Yes, we are in an elevator with mirrors all around so we can make silly faces as we go up this really nice elevator in this fancy hotel. I'm currently a community facilitator for Hacker Paradise which is a digital nomad community that travels around um, and we organize trips for other, other nomads. And I got started in this after nomading myself, mostly solo for about three years. And prior to that, I was a study abroad advisor. So you could say, I usually say that study abroad changed my life. So I studied abroad in college. And then shortly after that, I got to do an internship over in London as well working with study abroad students. And that is really what led me down the path that I am on now. Fantastic. Was that sort of the first trip that you ever took? Or that was just the one that was like, hey, I want to be doing this more? No. So I'd actually took my first international trip at 15. And my uncle at the time was working for the US Embassy in London. And so my grandma was like, we all have to go. We have to visit. Like she saw the opportunity for us to like have that experience. And so we all kind of went and yeah, that was my first international experience on the the red tour bus driving around London, my hat getting, you know, flown off my head from the wind (laughs) and just like, I don't know why I remember that, but I just loved it. It was so different from anything I'd ever experienced like growing up in Texas 
And so, yeah, that was when I got the travel bug. And then, yeah, ended up uh, studying abroad in London as well. And then that experience led to a six-month internship also working with study abroad students. So London was kind of like the main place I felt like I kept visiting like early on. And then that really gave me the confidence to just like go to other places and keep exploring and kind of like build that passion in me. Love it. Yeah, I think there's things I remember from vacations growing up too, where I'm like, this is so random that this is the thing that's stuck in my mind from a trip. (laughs) But I, I've consistently told my parents this and also just anyone who will listen really that I feel so fortunate that I did get to travel as a kid and growing up because I've met people now who are like, yeah, I took my first international trip two years ago when I was in my late twenties. And that is such a different experience than both of us had really, where we we were getting to explore kind of at a younger age and seeing how different things are in other countries and how, you know, from from culture to food to music, all that good stuff. And really getting a taste of that early on, I think, has been so impactful in shaping for sure my life. And it seems like based on how your mm-hmm. career has turned out, <laughs> yours as well. Yes, it definitely took me on this path because, yeah, talking about visiting other cultures, like also on that same very first trip, we did a weekend trip to Paris. And so in one trip, I got to see like the total difference between like European cities and the, the whole experience was just, yeah, it definitely gave me the travel passion and never really left me. And I just kept continuing to for me, I kept traveling in different ways, right? It's so like the first one was like a family vacation. And then I did my study abroad, which was different. And then I interned abroad, which was different. And then I eventually tried my first solo international trip to see if that was something that I could do and pursue on my own. Um, and so for me, it was just trying different types of travel to figure out what it is and how I actually liked to travel and what I wanted, what I wanted to keep doing. So do you have a favorite out of all the different ways you've traveled? (laughs) Um, Well, the one I've done the most is probably just solo travel. So I spent two years solo traveling internationally uh, pre-COVID. And then I took a little break during COVID um, until I got back on the road. But I also really enjoy, I mentioned I'm a Hacker Paradise community facilitator at this point. So I actually joined a couple of their trips as a participant because it was a way to get ingrained into a like-minded community of other travelers and other nomads. And then I could meet them around the world in different places wherever I was. So I think it's a mix of solo travel and then also just being a part of like the traveling community at this point. And you're very well-versed in the travel sort of environment. I for, for lack of a better word, but for <laughs> folks that maybe haven't traveled as much or are, you know, maybe planning their first international trip, looking ahead to 2022, maybe doing a last minute 2021 sort of Whoop. track. All, maybe. Who, yeah, who's, who's to say? Who knows how the world will look in a couple of months, but hey, we're thinking positive land here. So for those people that are maybe a little less experienced, but want to do kind of a, a solo trip or maybe go somewhere with a couple of friends. What are some of your kind of top travel tips and advice for people like that? So for less experienced travelers, what I try to tell them is to not do too much. 
especially if you go to a place like Europe where there's so many cities and countries just like right at your fingertips. And it's so tempting to be gone for like 10 days and go to like five cities and just be constantly moving around. Um, but one, you're just going to be exhausted because you're moving around too, so much. And then at two, you're going to spend half your time in trains or planes or figuring out where you are and not actually getting to enjoy the experience of the destination. So I would say for a seven to 10 day trip, no more than two locations. And I know that's going to be really hard when you're planning to be like limit yourself, but I actually think you'll get a much deeper, richer experience if you don't try to do too much. Um, and then the second tip, which is not unique at all, but just like, <laughs> do not pack too much. Like you will thank yourself at the end of the day for not packing too many things. Cause once you start taking your suitcase up and down stairs and up and down stairs and old hotels with windy, narrow staircases and up and down, you know, through the train stations and things like you will thank yourself for not packing too many things. Yeah. I echo that. Uh, tremendously. I think the the last time I checked a bag was only because uh, it was coming back from from London, ironically enough, London and Ireland. And I we I know I've told the story on the podcast, so I'll keep it brief. But we were coming back from the uh, distillery in London, which does a gin, a whole like history of gin, and then you make your own gin. And they just gave us so many takeaway bottles that I think there were maybe like eight bottles of gin, both of <laughs> ones that, that were created uh, and then just some of their own kind of classic ones. And I'm like, well, we can't check uh, any bottles of gin, let alone eight large bottles of gin. So checked checked a bag strictly for that purpose of stashing gin. <laughs> nice. I mean, that's a pretty good reason. Yeah, it's tasty gin. Would recommend. For, for any London uh, frequenters out there, or even if you're visiting once, stop by the distillery, get yourself some gin. Now for, you you mentioned that part of your uh, experience has been as a digital nomad as well, which I think is a term, I don't have the Google search volume in front of me, but I would imagine that's a term that over the past couple of years, more people are searching for, more people are trying to kind of get into that lifestyle or at least learn more about it. So as someone that I'm going to I'm going to say it as an OG digital nomader. Mm, I don't know I go that far. <laughs> oh, I I'm I'm throwing the claim out there okay. you can reject it if okay. you like totally up to you. But <laughs> as a at, at least as a not novice right. digital nomader. Well, first of all, how did you kind of decide? I know you said you've gotten the the travel bug from London and kind of was like, hey, maybe I can I can try this out. But was it very much just like, let's go take the plunge into it? Or are there kind of like steps you can prepare before you go into that world? Yes. So I believe in planning. And I think if it's like any lifestyle, if you don't put some like preparation and thought behind it, I don't think it's very sustainable. Like, I think you have to really know your why and then, yes, put certain things in place so that you can continue to do it for however long it is that you want to do it. Um, the people who typically, like, quit their job and leave the next day to go travel and say they're digital nomads, like, usually have to return home in a few months because 
they haven't figured it out because it is, it's a lifestyle change and that requires work. Um, so for me personally, uh, I mentioned I was working in study abroad and I don't really know what the last straw was. There were just so many different things that happened throughout my like six years working in study abroad. And I knew that this thing existed where people worked remotely and traveled whenever they wanted. And I didn't understand how to get there. Um, but I will say one of the, one of the deadlines for me was turning 30 because I knew of the working holiday visa for New Zealand and I wanted to do that. And I was turning 30. So I was like, well, it's now or never. So once that deadline came, I had to figure out a way to make an online income. So that's really the first step. Like you have to either have a remote job, which is way more common now than it was, you know, four years ago when I got started. Thank you. That's one of the positives I think that came out of the pandemic, at least in my, you know, atmosphere and environment. Um, but yeah, you need to have an online income. So remote job or starting your own online business or becoming a freelancer. So I became a freelancer at that time. And then figuring out how you actually want to travel. Like, what is your actual budget? Are you going to stay in Airbnbs? Are you going to stay in hostels? For me, and I didn't even mention this up top, but I started house sitting. So that's how I actually afforded to travel around New Zealand for a year, which is not, you know, a cheap country to be in. Um, I was house sitting. So what that is, is people leave to go on vacation or whatever, whatever trip they have planned. Sometimes it's a work trip and they invite house sitters to come into their home and take care of their home. And there's almost always pets involved. And that's really the reason they get house sitters. So they don't have to disrupt their pets, um, schedules too much. And yeah, I live in their home and walk their dogs and feed their cats and um, in exchange for my service, they give me free accommodation. So I don't get paid for that. Um, but it was just a really budget friendly way for me to actually travel. And so I, I did that all over the world. I did that in New Zealand and Australia and Vietnam and Switzerland. And I was able to go to a lot of different locations through that. So, um, after, yeah. So after you figured out your online income, then it's just figuring out how you're going to travel and what your budget actually is. And then once you have those two things figured out, the rest of it can kind of be figured out like while you're on the road and, you know, things will change as you go along. Like I said, I, a year into traveling solo, I was kind of tired. I was doing a lot of the logistics on my own because I wasn't traveling with anyone else. And so that's when I joined Hacker Paradise because I just needed a break and I just really wanted to meet other, um, you know, a big term that's being used now was work from anywhere. So other work from anywhere professionals and kind of get involved in a community that way, because it can be challenging to find that sometimes on the road. Uh, you need a lot of vacationers or you need a lot of locals and they're just in different points of their life than you are. And it's great to meet them and hang out with them, but it's not usually a long-term um, community. So it is important, I think, to get, to get involved in the, in the nomad community specifically um, to also sustain it long term. All right, I have a couple of follow up questions, but I think the most the most immediate when you've been house sitting, has there ever been a very unusual pet that you've had to take care of, or just something within the house where you're like, "Ha, huh, I've never seen that in a home before." 
Oh, um, I haven't had any unusual pets. It's mostly cats and dogs. But when I was in New Zealand, I did have lots of sheep and um, a couple of cows and lots of chickens. So I did have that experience specifically in New Zealand. Um, but the homes are really interesting because usually they're local houses. So in Vietnam, for example, everything is built to be tall and really skinny. So like on every floor, it's like one room. And then you have to go up to another floor to get to like another room. Um, and then I don't, I don't know. I, nothing like super unusual is coming to mind, but they are all like a, just a little unique depending on the location and the, the architecture of the area. Yeah. I think it's always fun to see the little quirks for, for lack of a better word at really at any any place I'm staying at, whether it's a hotel or a hostel or someone's home like that, just to see like, hey, what are they? Because you'd have to imagine they're not keeping 100% of everything they normally have out. Like they're probably doing at least some sort of uh, clean up beforehand or maintenance to to maybe throw everything into a closet that where they're like, I don't want you poking around my, I don't know, lava lamp collection or whatever. Some people do, but not everybody. You'd be really surprised. Some people are just totally open and just like, yeah, like use whatever you want. And then, yeah, some people are like, here's our closet. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about the 18,000 rolls of toilet paper that we hoarded at the start of the pandemic. No, but you know what's so funny? After the pandemic, every house that I did after that, um, which was mainly in New York this summer. Uh, uh, yeah, I spent three more three months in New York this summer house sitting. Everyone pointed out the fact that they had plenty of toilet paper. <laughs> like no one has ever pointed that out to me. But like post post COVID, everyone's like, "And here's all the toilet paper. You're set." <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it is something you like having. It's it's rough if you don't have it. Uh, yeah, it was just I just noticed that it was funny. <laughs> You mentioned work from anywhere becoming mm-hmm. a hot a hot topic, not unlike the store hot topic, but more pleasant to work from anywhere than be inside hot topic. But for yeah. people that are exploring remote work, or maybe again, like they've kind of been forced into it from the pandemic, there are all kinds of digital tools as well to help get your work done more effectively, be more productive. Uh, in some cases, maybe just focus better since there's plenty of home distractions. I don't know if you can hear, but there's dogs barking off in the background in my house right now because there's probably light movement outside and they're they're protecting against intruders. So I appreciate that. But also not the best for podcast recording, but I'll I'll fix it all in post, as I always like to say. So this is a very long-winded answer for or long-winded lead up to the question of what are some of your favorite digital tools? Well, I'm going to say the first one is Zoom, which again, I was using pre-pandemic and a lot of people are now really familiar with, but that is the main way, especially as a freelancer, that I talked to my clients and stayed connected with them. Um, Another really big one is Slack. So I use this with all of my clients, actually. I think I'm in like eight Slack channels right now. So all my clients, and then actually for Hacker Paradise, we have a Slack channel for each one of our trips, as well as like an alumni Slack. So that keeps us connected there. 
Um, and then even, I would say even like communities that I'm a part of also just use Slack. So for me, it's been a, it's a social tool as well as a work tool. Um, and then beyond that, I think those are like the main ones. As far as like productivity goes for me, I'm a huge fan of the Pomodoro method, which is a scientifically backed method of um, you work 25 minutes on and then you take a five minute break and then you do another 25 minutes, another five minute break. And you could do four sessions like that. And then you take a 10 minute break. So you take a little bit longer break after that. Um, so when I'm having a hard time focusing or just doing way too much contact switching, then I actually just, it's just a Chrome extension. Um, it's called timer. It's real basic, but I'll just set it for 25 minutes. And in that 25 minutes, like I put my phone away and I just say, okay, all you have to do is focus for 25 minutes. And that feels doable instead of being like, you have to write this blog post or something, write that. Like, I'm like, okay, just do 25 minutes of work. And what it does is it actually like, once you get into it, then you find yourself working and getting enough flow and things like that. So that's one of my like productivity um, tips. And then speaking of Chrome extensions, another one I really love that I found a couple of years ago is called OneTab. And I know most people who work online, you always have like a bunch of tabs open. Everybody does it. Um, this is another thing that helps me to avoid context switching and get distracted by things I don't need to be working on in the moment. But you just click on the little icon and it throws all your tabs into like one page and kind of groups them. So that when I'm like, okay, I'm working on this client, I'll open up all their tabs and then I close them as I finish tasks. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm moving on to this new task and I'll open up all those tabs for that. Um, it's also really helpful if I've pulled up a couple of like articles I really want to read, but I don't want to add them to my bookmarks. Like I just, I want to go back and read them like later that night or the next day. I'll also throw those into my one tab so they're easily accessible. But, um, yeah, anything that goes to my bookmarks tends to get either used frequently or lost. So it's kind of a good, it's kind of a good in between for me. Yeah, the multiple tabs is a very real issue. Certainly, certainly for me, but I I have one. There's one colleague in particular I'm thinking of where I've seen her screen before where it's, you can't even see a letter of each tab. And I'm just like, how do you even know what to click? Like, how are you navigating between (laughs) these? Because you're like, are you just guessing? Are you just like, I think this was like the 24th one down the line. I'm just going to click it and hope it's right. And, oh, shuddering at the thought. Yeah, I can't I can't work with clutter. So anything I can do to declutter my work, my physical workspace and or my actual computer, then I'm much more focused and productive. One of the other things that you do is as part of your whole uh, really your whole online presence is you've got traveling tailor as well, which is, are you, are you beyond a hundred videos now I am. Uh, among the, the many resources that you have of, mm-hmm. of really all, all kinds of great content uh, and tips on being a digital nomad on traveling, on creating better content. There's, there's so many helpful tips and, and things out there. Like I, I recently watched your uh, breakdown of different ways that you can launch online courses. Uh, yeah. Shout out to 
Podia. Mm-hmm. Podia. I never know how to say it. I say po. Podia, but I actually don't yeah. know now that you say that. I feel like it's because it's like podium, right? It's like but, podium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Podiatrist. Um, I guess I guess if a podiatrist is doing it, they probably say a podia, but otherwise we'll go with podia. But there's there's lots of good things on there. And as I, I feel like I, I'm a broken record in saying this, that video is all the rage now yeah. for, for any platform that you're on, uh, where you've got, you know, obviously YouTube has been around for forever, but every social site is prioritizing video now. Mm-hmm. It's all about the algorithm, all that good stuff. So for some people, video comes supernaturally. For other people, it's maybe a little bit more of a struggle, and they're like, where do I even start? What kind of equipment should I have? So can you tell us a little bit about your video setup and maybe some things you've learned along the way and route to making over 100 videos? Yeah. So I'll say for me, I actually started out as a, a travel blogger. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then about a year into that, I realized I really don't like blogging and I'm really slow at it. And that is when I switched to making YouTube videos. Um, So my website and my YouTube are both Traveling Taylor as well as my Instagram. I just kind of branded it along all channels. So I'm super easy to find. Um, But as far as my video setup, I've kept it really simple. Um, I just, I just record on my phone. (laughs) That's it. So at the time I had like an old iPhone. Now I've upgraded to an iPhone 11 pro. So I use that. I use a tripod. That is really important, um, for the, the appropriate height as well as the sturdiness of the camera. And then I did recently buy a lapel microphone. So that helps um, improve my sound. And also I started recording outside a bit more and I just found I needed something that kind of blocked out like the wind, like extra noise. So that was another reason I bought the microphone. Um, And that's it. That's actually my entire setup. So I do think that there's a low barrier to getting started with video lower than people think. Um, because the cameras on smartphones these days are so good. Like you don't have to have like a DSLR, you know, or a GoPro or something to get started. Um, So that's all I've been using for the last two and a half years. And I've put out at least one video a week, sometimes two videos a week during that time. And I've never missed a week. So I've definitely stayed on top of it, which has been a big challenge, but what I've learned through that is, yeah, just like consistency, especially for YouTube is really big. That's a big part of their algorithm is consistency. Um, and even during like early days of the pandemic, I definitely was one of those people that was just like, had a, had a bit of a breakdown. I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm not traveling Taylor, like who am I? And what kind of content am I going to make if I'm not traveling? <laughs> like, what am I even going to talk about? And not just like, you know, I couldn't even just talk about travel in general because it it just felt unethical to even be mentioning going to different places. And so that's when I kind of pivoted a little bit of my channel to talking more about the online business aspect of, you know, generating online income. So, and getting yourself prepared and set up to start traveling once things open back up. So I really, um, this year I've, I've created a lot more content around um, becoming a digital nomad and what that actually involves. 
And then I think moving forward, I'm going to do more like digital nomad destination videos and maybe more nomad interview videos to help, you know, continue to inspire people to live this lifestyle if it's something that they're actually interested in. Fantastic. Now, obviously, one of the the tie-ins, I think, for any kind of online business, uh, when people are, are searching about it, you'll get all the different kinds of side hustles mm-hmm. that you can do, all the different ways mm-hmm. you can earn money online. So do you have a favorite one that you've ever read where you're like, that is outrageous. How are people making money doing that? And it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, that was not the question I was expecting you to ask. <laughs> <laughs> like to keep you on your toes. I don't know. Usually if I say, how are people actually making money from that? I just believe it's a scam. Like, I don't, I don't know that I actually give it any credit in my mind and believe that they're actually making money. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the really common ones are uh, any, anyone in tech, really, like any, a software developer, an engineer, those are really the easy ones to travel with. Um, like I said, I was a freelancer, so I was a freelance virtual assistant. Um, and then I kind of transitioned into more of a higher level online business manager, but there are all sorts of freelancers. I mean, there's video editors and copywriters and social media managers and, you know, all accountants. I mean, you can really be anything, I believe, um, and find a way to, you know, make money online. Um, other really common popular ones are, yeah, like any, like online courses, uh, podcasting and YouTube. We didn't even, I didn't even mention that, but there's podcasters and YouTubers um, and yeah, drop shipping, e-commerce, those are another like popular in the, in the digital robot space too. I'm always amazed when I'll see, because, you know, I work with some clients that are, are looking to get on podcasts too. And when I'll get a message back from a host or a producer or something like, oh yeah, we'd love to have them on the show. It's $5,000 for an appearance. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And it just it blows my mind. Like I I could not I say this and watch in a year I'll be charging five thousand dollars in prints. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> I I can't imagine charging people to come on my podcast. Like I there are plenty of other ways to make money, but that just feels so seedy to me. Yeah, I mean the way I see podcasting is like a great way of like marketing, right? Like it's a great way to like reach a new audience and talk to different people who may not ever have heard of you or like had a reason to seek you out. Um, so yeah, it seems kind of crazy that you would charge for that for like free advertising. It's wild times, wild, wild times, times, but they do, you do, you do what works for you. I, uh, this is, I, I think part of the reason I asked that question was I recently just read an article about, uh, you know, some of those like weirdest side hustles and, one that stuck with me was someone who had made a business. And again, like, I don't doubt that this person had done this, but I don't think this is something that you can, like, anyone would just pick up. Like, ah, oh, you can do this while you're watching, uh, you know, SpongeBob or whatever mm-hmm. show you're, you're currently watching. I don't even watch SpongeBob. I don't know why that <laughs> so popped random. in my head. Uh, we'll say Dairy Girls. <laughs> okay. That's I've been, mm, I've been yeah, pushing hard one. lately. Great show. Um, but he essentially started a business where people would send him knives and he would sharpen them for them and then send them back. So it was like a, you know, a a drop shipping knife sharpener. And I was like, you know what? That's fantastic. I don't think it's the business or side hustle for me, but 
I, I'm also not like, I don't take the best care of my knives. Yeah. I don't think I try to, but I'm certainly not an expert at it. But I was like, you know what? That's like a very, very specific niche. Yeah. And finding it, which is, I mean, good on hand. Right. I think that's the thing, right? Like you have to find what you're interested in and then just like figure out how to make money from that. Even if it seems kind of ridiculous, if you know people will pay for it, there you go. That's your, that's your side hustle. Like actually that reminds me two things actually. So, um, a girl that's on the trip with me currently, she is like really into plants. It's like not her day job, but she just loves plants and takes care of them. And so she actually goes out and like buys plants and then sells the cuttings of that to basically pay for this large expensive plant. Um, and she was talking to us the other day and there's like all these like local, like there's a local Facebook group in her area and people will just like, you can pop in and show pictures and be like, I'm selling this plant for $5 or $20 or whatever it is. Um, and then she also started like house sitting the plants, like for people who are going out of town. So she would go to their home and water them and take care of them while people were gone. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty cool like side hustle that I never considered because I am terrible with plants. <laughs> <laughs> yes, same. Especially if it's a succulent. Get out of here. Yeah. They're not easy to take care <laughs> yeah. of. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. I always like hearing about quote unquote nightmare stories. Mm. Uh, I ask every musician that comes on here about their worst gig. And as a traveler, I'd love to hear what's your worst travel experience. So I will say I've been pretty fortunate. I don't have a lot of stories. Um, But the first one that comes to mind was when I was house sitting in Ho Chi Minh City. It was a six-week house sit and I had gotten there, I think the night before. So I hung out with a family a little bit that night and then they left the next day for like a 14-hour flight, right? It's like they were inaccessible pretty much the whole day. And it was around dinner time and I took the dogs out for their walk. And I come back and I can't open the front door. Like I've essentially locked myself out. It's my very first day. Like the homeowners had left me like five hours previously. Like they had not been gone for very long. And I'm just standing in the street and it's, they were more in like a neighborhood. So they were actually teachers at an international school there. So they lived more in like a neighborhood area. It wasn't very touristy. And I'm standing in the street and the dogs are getting anxious because we're not going inside the house. And that's really unusual. And there's mopeds going by and kids playing in the street. And I'm just standing there because I literally like there's no back to the house. There's no side to the house there. Everything is like right up next to each other. There's no way for me to get into the house. And I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm standing there probably like 20, 25 minutes. (laughs) Like, how am I going to solve this problem? Um, So I luckily, and this is not always the case, but in this situation, they had actually emailed me the uh, like home instructions, if you will. So a lot of homeowners would just print them out and put them on the kitchen table for me. And that piece of paper would have the emergency numbers, you know, the animal's routine, any quirks about the house, how to use the oven, like little things like that. But in this case, they'd actually emailed it to me. So fortunately, I was able to like pull it up on my phone. I texted the landlord who was Vietnamese, but spoke enough English 
And also this was a Sunday evening. So like, this is not typically a time that anybody wants to be called for an emergency. So I messaged him and he's like, doesn't fully understand what happened. He was like, okay, I'll be there. Um, I don't actually know how far away he lives. So I didn't know how long this was going to take. And then another fortunate, lucky thing happened to me and the neighbors right across the street who happened to be American, which I did not know that prior. They pull up on their moped. They just got back from dinner and they were like, hi, like, are you, do you need help? And I was like, oh my gosh, you speak English. (laughs) Um, And it was like, yes, like, I can't get into the house. I don't know what happened. The dogs are freaking out. And they were like, okay, come over here. Like. We'll put the dogs inside, whatever. Anyways, it turns out, so on this, on the house, they had like the front door key that locked, but then they also had one of those um, locks that go into the ground. You know how you have like an extra lock that goes into the ground on doors sometimes? Well, that lock went into concrete. Like there was no getting it out. And I don't even know how it happened, but it just fell when I shut the door when I left apparently. Um, and so what ended up happening, long story short, the landlord finally came. They tried for probably an hour to get it open. <laughs> they had all these tools. I have a picture. It's great. Is And then he got all the neighborhood people in. So there were like five guys trying to get the door, <laughs> the door stopper open. And then eventually they were just like, they had to break the glass. So they just broke the glass, reached down, pulled it up, got me inside. Um, and then that was a six week house sit and the landlord refused to change the glass for like the rest of the time that I was there. So then I just had this nice open part of the front door the rest of my time in Vietnam. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I will say the fortunate thing there was I just had a lot of help. Like if I hadn't had any help, if the neighbors hadn't come home, I only saw them maybe three times in the whole six weeks I was there. Like it was so fortunate that they came home at that time. And then they actually made a point to kind of check on me a couple of times after that. They're like, how are things going? Is everything okay? Is the glass getting fixed? And I was like, I don't know. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want to come fix the door. He's given up on me. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, you're almost off the hook. But we always like to wrap up with a top three. And for you, since you've been to so many places, you've mentioned losing hats in the wind. You've had you had <laughs> broken glass door for for weeks on end. So we've we've kind of touched on some of these. So we're gonna go a little more specific beyond just the top three travel experiences, top three sites that you've seen along your travels. Oh, that is a great question. Top three sites I've seen that I'm guessing that I loved. That's the qualifier. Yeah, right? probably leaning towards that. But I guess if you've seen three <laughs> horrible ones that you want to steer people away from, you could go that route. <laughs> it's basically, do you want to be positive or oh. negative? <laughs> we'll go with positive. I like to be positive. Although there are places that I do not care to return to. Um, I would say one of my absolute top favorites is Mount Cook National Park in New Zealand. I mean, really all the national parks in New Zealand are amazing, but I'm going to go with just Mount Cook for the sake of this podcast. Um, I went 
the very first time by myself and it was actually winter and it's just beautiful. The national parks in New Zealand are really different from the U S and that they're not crowded. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and there's like no entry fee and there's no gate. Like you actually don't even know you're like, where, where does this start? Like, there's just basically like open nothingness. That's just like declared a national park. Um, so Mount Cook was absolutely amazing. And then when my mom came to visit, I like made sure we like went off road, not off road, but like off our, you know, path just so I could like show it to her. I absolutely loved it. Everything about New Zealand, but specifically Mount Cook. I also, you know what, actually when I was in Berlin, I did a graffiti walking tour and that might've been one of the coolest things I've done, like coolest tours I've done. Um, our tour guide was really good. He, he explained the history of the city and how that related to the graffiti that we were actually seeing as we like walked around. And so I just feel like I got a, like a deep, rich history of Berlin by like looking at all of this graffiti, um, including graffiti on the Berlin wall. Ooh. Oh, you know what? It's another favorite of mine in um, Cornwall, England, which is like the Southwest coast. There is this theater called the Manac theater and it's carved into the side of the cliff like the seats are carved into it and down at the bottom is actually like the stage. And so I've actually a couple of times done road trips through Cornwall and we always stop at the Manac theater. Every time it's always like a real Shakespeare company play, of course. So we see some sort of Shakespeare, but it's just this like the most beautiful outdoor theater space I've ever been and because you're sitting up high, you're watching the show down below. Of course, it's the RSC, so it's always really good. And then you just have like the sea in your background. Um, yeah, I love the Manac Theater. So yeah, I would say those those are three favorites. I'm sure I could come up with more if I had a bit more time. <laughs> no, we give you no time. And top of the head that's fantastic adding it all to the list well taylor thank you so much for hopping on the podcast you kind of teased this earlier but in case people tuned out in the middle which hopefully I know, not hopefully not or maybe they just maybe they just fast forward to the end to hear maybe the closing credits and all of this uh the, the corny joke at the end yes. that's to come very soon but where can people find you and connect with you online. So I'm on Instagram as traveling Taylor and that is traveling with one L and Taylor with an ER traveling Taylor on Instagram, traveling Taylor on YouTube. And then my website is also traveling Taylor and you can find, I actually didn't even mention this yet, but I also do digital nomad coaching. So you can apply if you want to get some digital nomad coaching or see some of my videos, or read my blog on my website. Wonderful, wonderful. They'll also be in the show notes for the folks that only like reading this podcast, which, I mean, I I get it. There's times you can't listen. It makes sense. Lovely. Well, Taylor, as always, a pleasure chatting with you, and thank you for all all the good stuff. And now I've got like I've got my long list of places I need to go to, and hopefully, yeah, it I, never I, gets shorter. No, 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 it never does. No, it's even even after knocking off like ten, I'm like, oh well, there's twenty others that I yeah. saw <laughs> along the way that I'd like to get. <laughs> and as promised, here is 
This corny joke. It's not even good, but... I'm ready. I don't promise. I just promise corny. I just promise corny. Did you hear the joke about that large hill? Mm -mm. We can't get over it. (laughs) Get after it, people. Okay. Man, I love me some good, like, Laffy Taffy dad jokes. They're, They're actually my favorite, so thank you. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.